You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Randy. And this is Jasper. We watch 16 movies. And we're going to make an extended universe. Yeah. GCU number 10. Yeah, welcome to the season one. Yeah, we're doing seasons now. Seasons. We actually, this was actually decided after we decided the premise of episode 10. It was a surprise. It was a surprise. I decided it while writing a post and was like, guess what? We're in seasons now. So this is, (laughs) this is the season one finale. Season one finale. Are we taking a break? Nope. Just keep going. (laughs) Yep. We'll take a break when we're dead or we just get tired of doing it. Just so everybody knows, we, we we don't sign on to just seasons. We just do this until we stop. Yeah. <laughs> Which will be never. How many are you contracted for? 48 episodes. <laughs> they didn't That's wanna, an odd number. EMC didn't want to sign me to 50 because it's a little bit too much of an investment. Yeah, that's true. So 48. But 16 movies. We've 16 been. movies. So what we're doing is, in case you have, you've missed my numerous uh, social media posts, or cries for submission. That didn't quite sound like I expected it to. <laughs> no. That's a, that's a Grawlick's whole section That's right there. something different. Maybe you didn't hear that. So, or our last episode, we're going to break these into seasons. A season will be 10 episodes. The 10th episode, what we're going to do is instead of our normal premise, which is watch a double feature, like a theme double feature, review those movies, and then pitch a shared cinematic universe between them, Every 10th episode, we're going to look back at the previous nine episodes, which will normally be 18. Uh, For season one, it's 16 movies. Because we had a guest spot. We did. We are going to basically mix and match. We're going to take this time to like go back and maybe hit the cinematic universes that we wish we could have done. Or pair more than two up. Or maybe pair all 16 up. That wouldn't be a pair then, would it? You know what I'm saying. I got you. You got me. I got you, homie. You got me, boy. Yeet. Yeet. What is yeet? Yeet. You said you say, I don't know. You've been saying this. What yeet. is this? So it was a meme that was started basically, yeah, it means yes, but it was a meme started with a dance. The kid doing the yeah, yeet, yeah. That's kind of like a rap one. It's, I'll show you later. That's but okay. But there is a YouTuber that I heavily watch that uses it all the time, and then I just caught on to it. Okay. So. So you're. So I use it heavily now. Okay. You're supposed to use it like when you throw something, like a grenade in a game, like yeet. But now I'll just like typing things on a keyboard and be like yeet. Yeet. <laughs> young, anyway, young Jasper is very impressionable. It's stupid. This is why kids under the age of 32 should not be allowed I was about to watch to say, YouTube. I'm 30, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 30. I'm a man. Let's talk about old, tired memes. Old man, mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway. So for this episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the movies we've covered, hit a couple stats, and then the main thing will be we both have pitches. 
but we also got several submitted pitches for the show. And basically I told people choose any or all of these movies, these 16 movies and pitch us, pitch us a shared universe. Just give us anything, anything, anything. Well, almost anything. Yeah. Well, anything. it's gotta be these movies. <laughs> yeah. Give us your future pitches if you wanted to, but we were looking for. Yeah, we're always open. We're generally open for any pitches. If you have a random pitch, you're just like, hey, this movie and this movie, even if it's not relevant, if you email it to us, we're going to read it on the show, mm-hmm. even if it's not relevant, because we love the idea of it. Decided I think I like writing fan fiction, which is essentially all that is. <laughs> I'm not going to, unless it's for the show, but it's fun. I had a good turnout for this one, actually. I was glad. I was glad. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to some of the let's get to the, some of the stats, and we'll start with the poll that I've been running. We'll just jump right in. This is a poll we ran in the Grolix Podcast Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com/groups/grolixpodcast. Pretty straightforward. I'm telling you, if you want to find GCU or Grolix Podcast, just throw a slash Grolix Podcast at the end, and you'll probably be there. Just any just any web address slash Grolix Podcast. Anything, anything. Pornhub.com slash <laughs> <laughs> you stole it from me. I was like, can I say it? <laughs> Pornhub slash Crawlick Spot. Dude, Don't do that. I might. No, I can't. I would. Maybe GCU. GCU. <laughs> I would do I would because you could set up a Pornhub. You can upload whatever you want to Pornhub. It's Pornhub. But That's I, I can... can't have Grawlick's podcast the ty- the name associated with anything Pornhub. Pornhub slash GCU. Or you play Scribble Nuts unmasked. But the character's not unmasked. Randy's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. The ironic thing is, Scribble Nuts unmasked on Pornhub, the only thing masked is my face. (laughs) Is it like watching porn, but you have to write in the actions? Was it like the tabletop RPG of porn? Roll roll the D20. Critical fail. <laughs> What's a... I don't want to know what a critical fail in porn is. So... <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to. This all right. Getting, we can't... We got to get off this. So this is great. This is, this, is, this is a little bit of what we don't usually get to do. This is what we try to reserve for the GCU pre-show. Maybe not quite this lurid, but... uh. <laughs> But we usually are straight to business in GCU, so it's kind of nice to get this out of our systems. Oh, I have announcements. Another thing we usually don't do on GCU, but this is very relevant. Hey, are you on Twitter? Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? So is GCU. What? Now, the Grolix Podcast, of course, is still at Grolix Podcast on Twitter, but GCU now has its own Twitter account. We're moving on up to the east side. We're splitting off. We can no longer. We're like, I can't stand your, you're smothering me with these rules, dad. And we're moving on out. Getting we, out. We have become farther than the adolescent GCU. We're now 10. Okay. Yeah, we're 10. We're, we're, 10. we're at moving age. <laughs> we're, we're ready to separate a little bit. At 15, we'll get a job. <laughs> at GCU podcast. We're tired of our oppressing parent. Known as the Grolix Podcast. Oh, known as the Grolix, known as at Grolix Podcast. Grolix Podcast, which is mainly still me. I'm tired of myself oppressing myself. But at GCU, I can call you a butter, which is something I can't even say on this podcast. I just bleeped it. (laughs) At GCU Podcast, 
I can call you Butter. Butter. Which is not a Thanksgiving turkey. You know what's funny? With that bleeped, with Butter bleeped, it's going to sound worse than I think it really is. It's going to sound like you said Butter or something. Yeah, Butter. <laughs> Those are going to be bleeped. We're off the rails. Also exciting. So you can still find this. You can still find this podcast on the uh, Grolix podcast podcast feed. Man, that's a lot of podcasts. But you can still find this on iTunes on the Grolix podcast account, Google Play, Google Podcasts, all that, all that. But maybe you just want the movie talk. Maybe you just like Jasper's voice and you're not interested in anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I have a very soothing voice. Yeah, I would I would definitely say it's something it's like quiet. that. It's quiet except for when it's loud, which is usually right at the beginning of your sentences. We're just pointing out, we're pointing out things, okay? We're pointing. This we're is all about the highs and lows of ten. Yeah, of yeah, episodes. exactly. And we're going. We're going to. It's constructive criticism. One is the thing where I keep doing this. That's not good. Do no, this again. You don't want to do that. Yeah. See, there's things that irritate Randy. <laughs> there's a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, there's no. There's only a couple Most things of which I do, but <laughs> all of them. I have so much annoyance to show you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a call forward. For oh, I guess it's a call back too, but it is foreshadowing. So you can also, you can get Grolic Cinematic Universe on its own thing, its own feed. You can get just the GCU, just Grolic Cinematic Universe. So go to grolicspodcast.com slash GCU and the link's up at the top of that page for iTunes and for Google Podcasts. That's just the GCU feed. So... Have at it. We're still going to be on the Grolix Patreon. That goes to... It's just confusing if you have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to split off Patreon. But I still view this as, you know, another shade of Grolix Podcast. So it's, it, it completes us. All right. All right. So let's start. Let's lead with the poll. And then we'll talk about kind of some more stats. And for season one of Grolix Cinematic Universe, we ended up watching 16 movies. We did eight episodes of double features. We had a special alternate universe, or I like to call it the alt universe, of uh, Neil and Johnny Drink of the Park and the AM Audio Media guys came in and produced an episode for us. That's awesome. But we, we didn't count like movies mentioned in that because we're keeping it canon. We got to keep it canon. That's a what if story. We ran a poll in the Grolix Podcast Facebook group to get people's favorite of the existing double features we covered, which was their favorite. I flip-flopped, honestly. I, I voted, and I flip-flopped a little bit. But the winner, people's favorite double feature that we've done, or at least their favorite movies that made up a double feature, not necessarily indicative of the quality of our episode. Right. <laughs> was, was Predator and the Terminator. Runner-up was Robocop and Judge Dredd. Nothing else got votes. <laughs> I think the Dredd one took off a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so do you want to know, according to our ratings, according to the ratings that we gave on the episodes, what our favorite double feature was? Yes. Our highest rated double feature based on our combined star ratings for each movie, and then of course the two movies together, was Terminator and Predator. And Predator. Okay. So it mirrors people's favorite. Yeah, it makes sense. Our highest rated movie, the single highest rated movie, was The Terminator. I gave it five stars. You gave it four and a half. We had some movies that were close. I think we had a couple movies that, you know, I might have given. I, I gave out like three, five stars this season. So we covered a lot of movies I liked. You gave out some kind of high ratings, but usually, you know, you didn't. So that dragged some of the totals down. But Terminator's definitely the highest. 
Do you know the lowest rated movie? Ants. Yes. Ants. Those, okay, you gave Ants the lowest single rating of the season with a zero stars. Foreshadow, I almost left them completely out of my universe, my upcoming. Really? I almost, almost did. <laughs> I feel like Ants is probably the most difficult to work in. But then again, it's just such a throwaway movie and concept that. You could either throw it out of the cinematic universe or you could throw it in there, you know, whatever. It just doesn't matter. It's so ridiculous. So Ants combined is still the lowest rated movie, even with Jesse in there, because that was the episode we had Jesse guest with us. Even with his two star rating, it's still the lowest with your zero star rating. And I think I only gave it, I think I gave it one and a half. It still pulled it down below everything else. Just did not enjoy that movie. No. My lowest rating, my personal lowest rating was for... Uh, Knight Rider 2000, one star. Did I give that a two? I think you gave it a two. The Thing, I gave a five star. I gave that three and a half? Maybe, yeah. Which yeah. I guess isn't terrible, but that was the one where I was like, I even mentioned it in this article I posted. I said there were not, okay, there were not many wild disparities in the ratings. So there weren't a lot of movies where I'm at like five stars and you're at zero, you know? Yeah. Unless you count Jasper not giving the thing a perfect five stars. Insane. But there is one movie. Okay, so there was only... This surprised me actually a little bit. There was only one movie that we both completely agreed on. We gave it the same rating. And it was a four star. Uh, Cabin in the Woods. Like I said, the movie was weird, but I liked it. I Cabin in the movie... Cabin in the... Cabin in the movie. Cabin in the movie. Cabin in the movies. Cabin in the Woods is a good movie. But I feel like of the entire lineup, it's one of the more forgettable ones. Yeah. Which is weird. But but actually, it's funny because Cabin in the Movies almost fits that movie. It does. It does. Like Cabin in the Movie or Movie in the Woods. <laughs> movie in the Woods. Our stats, which actually there aren't that many, but I know we mentioned it like, oh, that's a checkbox. Reoccurring characters or recurring actors. Arnold was the lead in three of the movies we watched this season. So we watched a lot of Arnie. Two Kurt Russell movies. Max Van Saito showed up in two movies. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. He'll make a comeback. He will. He will. I know for a fact he will. He was the villain, Ming, in Flash Gordon. And he was Judge Dredd-like parental role mentor type guy. Rutger Hauer was in two movies. Both his villains. He was the vampire, like the main vampire in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was the one android, the last android left in Blade Runner. And then also you pointed out, James Hong showed up twice. I wouldn't even noticed. He was Lopan in Big Trouble and also Hannibal Chu in Blade Runner. And I had to look up who that even was. Yeah, you're right. It was the guy in, it was the eyeball guy that made the eyeballs. That's who okay. he was. No, you were wrong. You said he was. I thought he was the restaurant guy. But in both movies, they put him in old man makeup. And also, side note, looking him up. Check out his IMDb. Check out his filmography. That dude works. He's still working. He puts out multiple. Mo- he's in multiple movies and TV shows every year. And was, it, was the one going I strong? He was in Law and Order. Probably. Yeah. He's in everything. I like him though. Everything. He plays a good whatever he plays. He was never really on my radar. I just don't know. I you know I don't know the guy. The Hoff was in two movies, right at the beginning, and then the cliches weren't as many as I expected. Although I'm sure we could nitpick and dive further into it but 
two damsels in distress, specifically forcefully wed to a wizard. <laughs> How does that come up twice? And if you want to count big trouble with uh, the fact that there were two women in that situation, that's three women this season that the the like big conflict of the movie was they're going to get married off to a wizard. I didn't really even think about it until now. I was like, wait, they, yeah, they're both wizards. Mm-hmm. Of course, and this is something that's, this is a, just an ongoing trope. There were other like women in peril stuff, women in peril movies, but those specifically were like the wizard. I was like, what? That will actually probably come up again sometime. Three unnecessary backflippers. Because we got hung up. You, this yeah. is this is one of your main hangups is people just backflipping for no reason. It's, when it's not practical, just doesn't matter. It looks dumb. Wait till later. <laughs> okay, great, great. Is this the inefficient thing to do? Blade Runner tells us no, it's not. All of them tell us it's not. Good. All of them tell us it's not. But well, in Blade Runner, Buffy. the character backflip, Buffy gets away with it because she's Buffy, Buffy gets away with it. I'll let that go. Are you going to let it go? I'm just going to let that one go. Okay. She used it as an attack, so. Daryl Hannah in Blade Runner, I would let go if she stopped with the one backflip because she actually used it as an attack and it looked effective. Then she turns, runs away just so she can backflip back at him and she gets shot while she's doing it. So it's like the first one in Highlander is no apparent reason. No reason. Buffy tries to show us that it could be useful. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the third one is like it showed us what we wanted to happen. <laughs> it, it showed us both extremes of what we wanted, of what it could be. It working, it being an idiotic thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the other trope, which there weren't as many as I thought there was, but two hanging from high things climaxes. And I mentioned this. I know there's only two, but this will come up again and again. I know it will because I know movies. This is specifically like a threat like a great fall threat of a great fall during the climax of the movie. If we wanted to just have the threat of a great fall as a general, like, you know, danger of the movie, at least eight of the movies we covered did this. And if we wanted to have the bad guy specifically, this is also kind of specific. The bad guy or villain is killed off by a great fall, specifically flying out of a skyscraper window. We'd have at least, two, three, maybe four movies because that happened a bunch. But if we just do the climax where it's like, as I put in the article, specifically tension filled, dangling from the fingertips, final sequences. And we've got judge dread. Cause he's dangling from the, the statue of Liberty mm-hmm. and uh, blade runner. Yep. That's the other one. But like the wasp woman, she gets thrown out a window. Robocop shoots a guy out the window. That's totally unnecessary. So, yeah, that kind of thing comes up a lot. The combined U.S. box office of all the movies we've covered that were released theatrically, not adjusting for inflation, was $478.8 million. The highest earner, the highest earner was Total Recall with $108.6 million. If that's beating out some of the more recent movies we covered, that's pretty good. Yeah. And it is because that's not adjusting for inflation. The lowest earner, this surprised me, Highlander with $5.9 million. And why that really surprises me, because the worst opening weekend was Big Trouble in Little China with $203,000. Holy crap. That's bad. Uh, the best was Total Recall with $25.5 million. But like, I, like we said in that episode, 
that was one of, at the time, the most expensive movie ever made. So they had to make some money back on that, even though we thought it looked cheap. You know what's weird is even adjusting for inflation, that big trouble in time would still not be great. Oh, no. That'd be like, what, one point? I didn't look up the budget, but I know, like, it's not a cheap movie at all. Like, I know that did not make its money based on that number. Thank you for hanging in there. Now we're going to get to the fun stuff. Now we're going to buckle up. We're going to get in the roller coaster. That is the GCU extended, extended, extended universe. <laughs> extended. So Jasper, mm-hmm. the movie studios have decided after 10 years of Harry Potter franchises and the MCU and Lord of the Rings, audiences, they just need more. These cinematic universes aren't large enough. They need more variation. They need some comedy. They need some horror. They need some action. They need some sci-fi. So Jasper and audience, how would you pitch the GECU or the GCUE or the UGCU? GCUE. I owe you. So what we're going to do is we're going to alternate between, we have a couple audio clips, which is exciting. We have some audio clips from people with their movie pitches. Uh, we have some written submissions and uh, then we have our own. So we're just going to mix it up. We're going to mix it up. Let's kick this off with Jesse. Jesse was the first to send us a submission. Or as we're going to call him Uncle Jesse now. Are we? Uh, Uncle Jesse Rick. <laughs> Uncle Joe. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so Jesse from the Grox podcast, he's been on our show and of course, if you listen to Grox podcast, you know Jesse. Actually, you know what? He would be Uncle Jesse because if we're if we're moving out of our parents' house, technically we could call you and Melanie the Grox parents. That's a good that's a good point. So right. that would make Jesse Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. All right, Uncle Jesse. So is he like he's like the cool uncle, right? Yeah. He's, he's a the just the the art. He is the cool uncle. The art cool uncle. I, I had something. <laughs> I had something. I looked this way and I lost it. He's like uh in his spaceship, he's got Pokemon on the dashboard all times. All the time. All the time. His spaceship? Yeah, he's got a spaceship. He's Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse has a spaceship. No, he has a he has a telephone booth. Oh, you're talking. You're still making the you're still, still making, making the Rick references. Rick, okay. <laughs> I got it. I get it. I was thinking Full House, Uncle Jesse. Oh my! Why, why are we over there? Because that's the only Uncle Jesse I know. That's the only one that matters. <laughs> Demos. All right, here it is, guys. It's Jesse from GrawlixPodcast.com, and it is the Grawlix Cinematic Universe Season 1 finale. Here we go. It's, a, it's been a whole season, and we've had lots of awesome movies on the show, and some that were not, that weren't, they weren't awesome. No. Anyways, here we go. Here's my pitch. I, I've got a pitch. Because for this show, you could do any movies or all the movies. And let's face it, all the movies, this is a lot of movies, so I didn't do that. Instead, here's what I did. Back in 1987, we received a look at the quote-unquote near future. It was awful. It was a terrible place to live. Then, in 1991, (laughs) we got a much more specific look into the actually near future. It really wasn't that far off no. from the from the time that they... Anyways, anyways, get ready, kids. Get ready to travel back in time to the far-flung future of the year 2000. Don't think about that. Don't think about it too... It's the future. It's in the future. <laughs> anyways, my here's my pitch. 
in the year 2001. So not even the year 2000, but the 2000, the next year, that next year, Night Industries 2000. That's right, Kit and Michael, Michael Knight. They're out, they're doing their thing. They're, they're having their adventures just like they used to do back when he was a much cooler car. I mean, a much less futuristic car. J- just go with it. Just work with me here. They have adventures and they don't always go well. Just like at the end of season one of the original Knight Rider series where Kit's like dumped in love and they have to rebuild him from scratch. Except this time, they don't rebuild him at all. They just pull him. They just pull out his his brain like they did the last two times when they just put him in whatever vehicle they have laying around. Anyways, <laughs> they do that. They, they get him They get him out of the car before he's exploded in lava or, or acid or, or vomit. And they put him into... You, you guessed it. You, get, you guessed it. They go, to, they go to Motor City to get Kit's new body. Detroit Motor City. And they put him... They put him into the best thing to ever come out of that place, except for Cars and maybe Eminem, depending on your musical tastes. They put him into a RoboCop. That's right. We're mashing up RoboCop and Knight Rider 2000 because you demanded it, right? Anyways, anyways, so, <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's right. So, so Knight Rider's now a RoboCop. What the, that what that does is now Kit doesn't have to be a car like a Hot Wheels. He's more than just a Hot Wheels that you can do ridiculously sweet jumps off of ramps with. He's more than that now. Now, now he's got a body. He can move, and he doesn't even <laughs> need Michael around. So, so, so long, Michael. So, so long, whatever. Thanks for all the fish. Now, Kit is is he's driving the cars. He's in a sweet car that's even more futuristic than the futuristic, you know, <laughs> futuristic car that he was. He's driving the cars. And here's the best part. Now, now he needs a new partner. So who, who's he got? Oh, yeah, you guessed it. They, they got they got RoboCop, the real one. <laughs> you know, the, the, the original guy. And so, like... He's the, you know, RoboCop's the sidekick. So Kit gets the quippy one-liners, and, and RoboCop gets to be the, the monotone voice of reason. Yeah, see? So, yeah, everybody, get ready. Summer of, of the year 2002 in theaters everywhere. It's, <laughs> it's the real future. Get ready for... Get ready for that real future. Hey, good job, gentlemen, on season one of the Grog Cinematic Universe. Can't wait for season two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Right, Motor City. <laughs> now he's got a body. Now he can move. That Oh, God, that, that made was... me lose it the first time <laughs> I heard it, too. That was like Kitception, like... <laughs> <laughs> it just kept moving. And when he finally pitches it, he's like, it's the, the RoboCop, the team, team up you've, you've always wanted, right? He said it not completely convinced himself. <laughs> also, I don't think a piece of audio has ever made me feel uh, that exhausted. <laughs> it's not like it took a lot of energy. <laughs> oh, my God. That was hilarious. That said, I would watch that. I would watch it. I would watch that in a heartbeat. I love the well, idea. It would be of, like two robots talking to each other. 
Uh, two monotone robots. He, I love that he pointed out the monotone voices too. My uh, my question is, who has better GPS? No, it says go this way. I know that <laughs> robo, but it says go this way. <laughs> okay, whatever. Oh yeah, thank you, Jesse. <sighs> that was awesome, Uncle Jesse. Again, GrawlixPodcast.com. You can hear Jesse on every episode of the Grawlix Podcast. What are you pulling up your phone for? Are you re- you pull you are you ready to throw down? Re- I've been ready. Okay. What's your pitch, sir? So I have the I have the preface this. I was uh, preface. The preface. 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 Preface this with a I, I like I prefer Wheaties for preface. Oh my god. This basically continues my cinematic universe of Judge Dredd and Rogue Cop. Okay. So stealing from my beloved MCU, this is like the Grawlix Cinematic Universe Civil War. <laughs> okay, so this is continuing from your RoboCop uh, Judge Dredd Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting any Judge or any RoboCop. You because you killed RoboCop. Did I though? <laughs> nah. All right, all right. I'm ready. <laughs> Hit me with it. I'm ready. Okay, you you ready? Yes. Right. This is GCU 10. This is Team Dredd versus Team RoboCop. Okay. So, after the events in Detroit, RoboCop's lifeless body was thrown into the river by Dredd. A week later, go on a week later, he's been in the river for a while. Alongside the riverbed, Robo is pulled out of the water by none other than Dwayne the Rock Johnson. (laughs) Wait, Dredd threw his body in the river? Yeah. That's not what a cop should do. Well, he's trying to hide the evidence of him killing another lawman. Mm, Okay. Okay, like I said, it's all over the place. Okay, no, it's cool. Uh, It's cool. A week later, alongside the riverbed, Robo is pulled out of the water by none other than Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Cyborg lifeguard. Okay. Cyborg lifeguard. Yeah, which is, used to be the original Rock, but the government wanted to save save his life-saving powers and made him into a cyborg. After working on Robocop for quite a while, he powers him back on. Robo comes to life and starts to tell Cyborg, as I'm going to call him. Cyborg? What, what has happened. So meanwhile, Dredd has gone into cleaning out the bad people in the city and devises a plan to have a competition which will be hosted in a cabin in the woods. <laughs> okay. Because he's going to try to find himself a team now to uh-huh. help with, with cleaning out the city. So he says an invite, sends out an invite to stay at a place for free if they participate in an experiment that could save the world. The first answer is football playing, world saving, completely useless Flash Gordon. <laughs> Back to the healing robo, he is out walking around to get his bearings back when he comes across a convention center. The sign on the front is broken, but reads 2001 World Cheerleading Competition. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He investigates and walks into the building to find that there is a girl in a cave under the bleachers. (laughs) Okay. It's Buffy, and she is now a Slayer vampire. (laughs) Oh. So... They talk, and she wants to right the wrongs of being a vampire now and wants to join his team to right these wrongs, okay? Okay. Back to Dread. <laughs> Keep flip-flopping. We're kind of... No, yeah, you cut back, back and forth. Back to Dread's side. He sets up the cabin, and more applicants have arrived. One is the Chinatown hero that dr- drives a truck, Jack Burton, who has survived this whole time because he says that he became a monster. This also goes uh, on. Oh, yeah. Because he is... And the only thing he remembers is being at a research facility in the snow among dead bodies. Nice. That's one of my favorite parts. The next person to show up is an Austrian cyborg who has a severe, severe multiple personality disorder. 
Oh no. Caused by a mishap with a VR getaway. Okay. <laughs> he keeps repeating that the woods are moving. And he makes buzzing sounds with his mouth as he <laughs> I love it. Okay. He keeps repeating the woods are moving and makes buzzing sounds with his mouth as he holds a red light by his eye. Wait, hold on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Back to the riverside. Robo and Cyberrock are working on plans to drive Soundred <laughs> from his crazy justice spree. They climb a bluff nearby to get a better view of a city when all of a sudden Buffy starts to fall backwards down the hill and catches herself by ch- by controlling the fall by backflipping. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> she starts she starts to backflip too fast and Robo knows she will lose it. All of a sudden a figure flies past the two up top and is going towards the out of control Buffy. It's a man and he is backflipping his way to her but in a more controlled pace. <laughs> he catches up to her and slows her backflip and they stop. They meet the man and find out that he is the prince of the universe that has fought others to gain his power. It's the Highlander. <laughs> So Robo, Cyberrock, Buffy, and Highlander leave to find Dread and soon find out about the cabin. They go to the front door and it opens as they get close. They step inside to find the Austrian, the truck driver, and Flash Gordon sitting at a table. Flash doesn't really know what team to be on, but Dread liked his charisma. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Judge's voice comes over with comes over a PA, which no one can understand because of a lip issue that messes with his speech that has gotten worse. <laughs> Anyway, Robo states that he's here to stop his former partner from causing a genocide. Dread calls his team into the back room, and Robo, Robo's team follows shortly thereafter. When Robo's team reaches the back room, they come to find a line of killer ants that cuts them off. They proceed to just step over the line and continue. Yes! <laughs> yes! They suddenly hear, you cannot just easily get away from ants like that, is yelled from a window as a half-woman, half-wasp flies through the window and comes right at Buffy. Robo jumps in the way as Highlander throws a sword and pins the wasp to the wall. Okay, got a little action. Yep, yep. They continue and go into the next one to see Dread's team waiting. They fight for each side, and as the battle rages on, suddenly a slight sound of a motor kicks on from the, the cabin's garage. Suddenly the walls fall down, and Kit appears through the hole. <laughs> we must preserve all life, Kit says, as he fires his scanner laser to create a distraction. At the same time, Highlander raises his sword and accidentally puts it in the path of the laser, creating a mirror. Oh. The laser hits everyone and kills them all. <laughs> all of them? Yeah. We're coming to the conclusion. Okay, okay. Kit, disgusted with how he has gone against his own code, decides to use their blood to summon the monster under the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> the blood trickles down, summoning the end of the world. When it's complete, the cabin crumbles as drunk... Hamburger eating David Hasselhoff, codenamed Michael Knight, monster appears, flattens the cabin with his huge hand. After he has risen and destroys the former USA, he moves to New Germany to complete his true vision of making vintage 80s music. Then. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, God, that was so. <laughs> Drunk hamburger eating David Hasselhoff monster. Oh my god. Oh god, that was so good. <laughs> nice. I like that pitch. That's good. I like the ads one. Just jump over. <laughs>
Yeah, I was waiting for that. That's great. Oh. Whew, there's a lot to grab on there. <laughs> Dude, there's there's some set pieces there. The backflipping <laughs> scene. Love it. Uh, I just pictured her falling down and then catching herself in a backflip. I love somebody's a man more controlled backflips. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to a written submission. Okay. Okay, we'll do two here. Because I have a short one. The first one is just a little, it's just kind of a blurb, kind of a thought. This is from Mike Burton. He commented on Facebook. And he says, I think like in, uh, he wants to see an 80s action fest with Terminator, Robocop, and Dread going against the thing and Predator called Machines versus Monsters. I'm down for that. That'd be awesome. Should we do Matthew Downs? Mm-hmm. Well, Maddie D., this is not the first pitch he sent us. Matt Downs is a longtime, what would you call it, corresponder? Correspondent. Yeah, he, yeah, he writes in uh, fairly often to us and uh, Grolic's podcast. All right, here's Matt's pitch. The movie studios have decided to create an ultimate movie conglomeration. The movie opens in a star field. The camera pans across the moon as we see a bright flash and a comet screeches across the sky heading towards Earth. The comet heats up in the atmosphere as we see it heading towards the west coast of the United States. Cut to a beach in San Diego as two men are riding inside of a lifeguard truck that has a unique light pattern on the grill. The two men look up at the sky as the very comet or meteorite comes crashing to the beach. The two men look at each other. They are Mitch Buchanan Sr. and Jr. and they rush to the crash site cut to crash site the two jump out of the truck as a robotic voice from the truck tells them to be careful the truck says it picks up an unusual reading from the object the two Buchanans agree to keep their distance but make sure bystanders are okay and no one is injured just then a door opens up from the object and there is a sound of a man grunting the very base arg then a high pitched whine out jumps a tall man with a 90s haircut and a ripped body Duh, this isn't Mars, the bodybuilder says. <laughs> then he looks over at the tooth lifeguards and starts to run over to them as they look up from their patients. You two, my name is Douglas Quaid. Where am I and what year is this? Mitch Buchanan starts to say San Diego when a triangle-shaped laser dot crawls across Quaid's back and stops at his head. Then there's a flash of light and Quaid's head is split in two. The two segments fly apart, but are held together by some alien-type thingy tendrils. A second flash and the body of Quaid explodes into little pieces. Both Mitches look back at the object and see a predator step out from the open door. Then we see the view of the scene from the predator's heat vision as the entire beach is radiating with heat signatures. The predator scans the two Buchanans and targets the young one as a possible target. However, before the Predator can do anything, there is a sound of helicopters in the distance and police cruisers coming down the beach. The Predator engages his cloaking device and runs out of the ship and heads across the beach, knocking people out of his way. Cut to black. White letters across the screen. Battle Royale. Starring David Hasselhoff, Dwayne Johnson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Derek Mears, Kurt Russell, Max Vansido, Ham Linda Hamilton, Sam Jones, Keith David, Christopher Lambert, Christy Swanson, and featuring Paul Rubens. <laughs> <laughs> Pee-wee's in it. 
All right, his story synopsis. After battling an entity on a green Mars of the future, a predator ship is sabotaged by a similar entity to the Thing. This makes the ship land in the present-day San Diego. The predator is stuck in the suburban jungle where it is hunted by the CAA and several local members of the police force. Normally, that would be a cakewalk for the creature. However, due to a ship punching a fabric in the time-space continuum, a couple of alternate, t- a couple of alternate timelines are bleeding through. Can the Predator safely get off the planet and get back to his own time while having to fight time-displaced robots, Martian mercenaries, merciless dictators, an immortal detective, an arrogant truck driver, oh, and a former high school cheerleader with super strength and a penchant for killing the undead? Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff going on here. I love that his pitch is from the perspective of the Predator. The Predator is the main character of the synopsis. This is great. <laughs> that was really, like, really worked on. Oh, yeah, it was good. It was good. There, there was some thought in that one. Thank you, Matt. I loved it. I loved it. That was a that great was awesome. pitch. Battle Royale. I like the Battle Royale aspect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I won't lie. His uh, cinematic telling might have inspired me to go way way too far with my pitches. So my cinematic universe pitch is four movies. I'm not sure what the name of the overall universe will be. The first movie is called The Boys and the Beasts. We open. In fact, this starts very similarly to Matt's. That's not intentional, but whatever. The Rock and the Hoff are working the beach in sunny Malibu, investigating a series of grisly beach murders. Each a real bloodbath. Sorry for my delivery of this. I'm going to keep doing it this way, but this is just, it's, you're going to have to deal. Normally, serial murders would be outside their jurisdiction, since they're lifeguards and all. But the chaos caused by an increase in earthquake activity have police occupied. Some speculate the earthquakes are a result of strange anomalies, like the moon drifting out of proper orbit. The Rock and Hoff have no time to help with the city chaos, though, because their boss is putting the screws to them to solve this murder case before legendary football star Flash Gordon shows up at the beach for a celebrity appearance. However, the investigation only gets crazier as the boys link the murders to reported sightings of some type of water creature. Meanwhile, a semi-truck pulls up in beach parking. A loudmouthed man climbs out of the driver's side. A small, squirrely guy pops out of the passenger side. I don't think we should have left May back in San Francisco with all these earthquakes and hot hail going on, Jack, he says. Jack pulls his boots off and says, Wang, just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earthquakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack, <laughs> Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, Not today, pal. All-American football hero Flash Gordon is signing autographs in Malibu. Old Jack is going to the beach. I love how you got Jack's character in there. That's awesome, man. Jack steps out onto the sand and starts hopping around. Wang laughs and says, Hell of burning sands. Stupid. Later, a large crowd is gathered around football legend and sometimes spaceman Flash Gordon. The Baywatch boys are on high alert as they have yet to catch the mysterious killer. The Pork Chop Express boys are trying to catch a glimpse of Flash Gordon when not distracted by random green-eyed bikini ladies. Suddenly, 
Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. I tried to work as many like real little things from each movie in. Suddenly, people are screaming and it's pandemonium on the beach. Some kind of creature is tearing its way through the crowd. It's the monster. The Hoff says in an oddly calm baritone radio voice. <laughs> it's the monster. It's the monster. Fishnet in hand, the Hoff makes his way towards the creature. He casts the net as soon as he can get close to it, vision blurred by the fine wet mist of gore in the air. The snare slows the creature just long enough for the crowd to disperse before it rips through the netting. The Hoff takes a backhand from a large, furry, ugly looking Muppet reject. Jack Burton sees it and says, oh, that's not good. Flash Gordon and Wang Chi spring into action. Jack Burton trips over a random sunbather and eats sand. Flash grabs the nearest object he can find, a volleyball. He lobs it at the creature's face. Wang leaps into a wicked jump kick. The combined jump kick volleyball attack to the face staggered the beast back several steps. Right then, the rock enters view full throttle on a beach four-wheeler. As slow motion kicks in, the colors become more vivid. Blinding lens flares fill the screen and the rock stares straight down the barrel of the lens with a cocked eyebrow. <laughs> I can just picture it, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He launches himself off the side of the ATV as it smashes into the creature. The creature and ATV slam into a nearby lifeguard tower and explode slower motion. As a massive fireball erupts in the background, the rock is still sailing through the air in the foreground. He pulls out a pair of sunglasses and puts them on before tucking and rolling out of the fall and back up to his feet in time to watch the rest of the fireball go up. As soon as the fireball dies down, he takes the sunglasses off. Scene. Scene. Later, the Baywatch boys, the Pork Chop Express boys, and Flash Gordon are having some beers at the nearby bar. Flash asks, what about the lifeguard tower? We got the creature responsible for those murders. The boss can take it out of my check if he's sore about it, the Rock says. The Hoff comes to the table with another round and says, hey, Buchanan too. You good to take the last patrol? I think I just made plans. He looks over at a lovely lady standing at the bar. Does she have green eyes? Wang asks. The Hoff throws his keyboard scarf over his shoulder. I didn't notice her eyes. He leans close. But she's a cosmetics model. <laughs> Later, Flash, Wang, Jack, and The Rock are passing under the pier on the last patrol. The Rock says, Those flackheads like to hide out here at night. Not too many of them around since the creature showed up, though. Say... How long you had this creature problem, Jack asks. About two weeks now, the rock replies. Oh, Jack says. Suddenly some kind of fish creature drops from the bottom side of the pier and lands on top of Jack. Jack exclaims, oh my god, no, please, what is that? Don't tell me. It's some kind of merman, <laughs> Flash yells. The trio tried to kick and pull the merman off of Jack Burton. As it viciously mauls Jack, blood erupts out of the blood hole on the creature's back. <laughs> Yeah, that's... Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wang pulls out a flask and carefully pours a shot of the contents into the lid. Quick, drink this, he says as he hands the drink to the rock. The rock, without question, downs the shot. Immediately, he looks almost euphoric. What was that? Flash asks. That, Wang says, is what the rock is cooking. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, hold on. I need to take a drink before this. Oh, The rock, energized stands over the merman as the creature continues to maul Jack. 
The rock swings his arms about and begins running back and forth, bouncing between two pier support beams before bringing his momentum back to the merman. As he kicks his leg out in front of him, Flash and Wayne can feel the very air around them vibrate. The old weather-beaten wood of the pier seems to crack and moan in anticipation of the impending blow. With a force greater than any of them could have imagined, the rock brings his elbow down on top of the merman. And with it, the pier down on top of them all. He just people's elbow everybody out of existence. <laughs> yep. It's like, it's like, it's just like bam, just nuclear explosion. Here just <laughs> comes down. Oh. I'm sorry. So, quick side note: I have not watched much wrestling. I watched many videos of the people's elbow to get that description to figure out what exactly it was. I did my research. I'm crying. The next morning, so we had like a volleyball hadouken. (laughs) Yeah, the people's elbow. Not only a people's elbow, but like a. Big Trouble in Little China Magic Elixir Enhanced People's Elbow. (sighs) Okay. I'm tired now. The next morning, a sleek car pulls into the parking lot next to a beachside motel. In it sits a moody-looking man wearing a trench coat. A couple of police cars and an ambulance are parked outside the front of the motel. The moody man looks at the dash and says, Your little boy shows you his butterfly collection, plus the killing jar. What do you say? A voice through the stereo system responds, Not this again. I don't have a little boy. I'm a car. Please. Michael, or Mitch, needs our help. Something must have happened to him. The moody man lights a cigarette and gets out of the car. He uses his grizzled detective demeanor to bluff his way past the cops stationed outside the motel. Once inside, he discovers the Hoff has been found dead in one of the rooms. His body is already at the morgue, but one of the officers says it appeared to be partially devoured. The clerk tells the moody man... Customers complained of loud noise, screaming, and what sounded like buzzing. Cut to the beach. Another moody-looking man in a trench coat stands staring at the still wreckage of the pier. There is no sign of life until rubble begins to shift. Slowly, the sole survivor pulls himself out of the wreckage. As the blonde football legend brings brings himself to his feet, the onlooker tightens his grip on the ivory handle of his ancient katana credits. Oh my god. Oh, so that's movie 104. <laughs> I might have went a little overboard, okay? <laughs> oh, do they all tie into each other? Yes. Oh my god! All right. Yes, because we are buckled in. We are strapped in. Tickets have been sold. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that sets up several things that don't get mentioned in this, but tie into later movies. I like the series. <laughs> I already want to watch. It. I love. I know. I was. I was like writing it. And I'm like. I want this. My question is: Could the Hadouken volleyball be deflected by the people's by the people's elbow? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Especially if it's the people's elbow enhanced by the big trouble elixir. Let's let's go to an audio clip. This pitch comes to us from David Gossett. And David is from the uh, On Follow the Revolution podcast. I've never listened to this podcast before, but I think I'm going to because On Follow the Revolution is an improv comedy podcast set in the dystopian world of 3018. 
where a revolution enthusiast, a failed Nicolas Cage clone, and a kidnapped government worker try to bring down the evil manifest government. That improv comedy podcast in that setting, I have to listen to this show. That sounds amazing. So, all right, David, thank you for sending this in. Let's take a listen. Hey guys, David here from the Unfollow the Revolution podcast. Uh, you guys want a pitch? Oh, I've got a pitch for it. I've got one. It's a real club banger, I think, anyway. Uh, so, my pitch, uh, the title is Big Trouble in a Splendid Little War. That's right. It's a prequel set in 1899 in the Philippines after the Spanish-American War during the American occupation of the Philippines. It's going to focus on Jack Burton's ancestor, Sergeant Wild Bill Burton. No one else calls him Wild, that's just a nickname he gave himself. Anyway, uh, Burton, much like his descendant, is also a blowhard and an idiot, but somehow has command over a squad of soldiers. Uh, the squad spends much of their time just kind of dealing with and covering up Bill's incompetence. Alright, so he's been stationed in the Philippines, right? Dealing with a bunch of rebels uh, who are fighting against the American occupation. There's, there's a lot of guerrilla warfare in the jungle, all that good stuff. So... Uh, one day, like the day that all this starts, a new guy comes into Burton's squad, and we're going to call this guy um, Frank Jameson. All right, he's mysterious, he talks in kind of a weird accent, he doesn't talk about his personal life much, doesn't talk about his past, and he keeps a bunch of stuff in this big duffel bag that he never opens in front of anyone. So he shows up, and the squad's just kind of like dealing with him. Squad's just a whole bunch of typical, you know soldier stereotype guys, you know, you got your southern fried private, you got people who've, you know, got a girl back home, hey, you know, they, they, they're not going to matter too much soon, don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, like the day that Frank comes into the squad, it's kind of unfortunate, because the squad's given a mission. A bunch of soldiers have gone into the jungle on patrols, and they haven't been found. Now normally you'd think, oh, it's guerrilla soldiers, but something about it just doesn't add up. So, Command has sent Burton and his squad to go into the jungle and find out what's going on. So, they go into the jungle, yada yada yada, character development, character development, character development, 20 minutes with jerks, bada bada, and they find some of the soldiers. Or what's left of them. You got bodies that are skinned and strung up, bodies that are flayed, and they're missing skulls and all that stuff. That's right, all the telltale signs of a predator. The squad starts freaking out, they're alone in the jungle, a few start getting picked off during this time, and Burton is trying to, you know, be a cowboy and be the hero, but he's failing at everything. And all of a sudden, Frank Jameson takes charge and tells everyone he's gonna get him out of there alive. So he goes over to his duffel bag and he starts to open it up, and he pulls out a katana. Who in the hell do you think you are, Private Jameson? Burton's yelling at him. And he goes, my name's not Jameson. It's McLeod. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. Yeah. So from there, you can kind of see where it's going. Uh, you're going to have a Highlander <laughs> fighting a Predator. And there's going to be a lot of, like, weird sword stuff, because the Predator's got, like, the Wolverine claws and all that. That's yep. going to be going on. Uh, Soldier's going to get picked off. Burton's going to be there uh, for some wacky hijinks, because he thinks he's still the actual hero instead of, like, the dumb sidekick who's useless. Uh, so that goes down. Eventually... Uh, you know, the day is saved. 
the Predator, it either gets killed or it leaves. I don't know what's happening. The only ones that are left <laughs> is Connor McCloud and Bill Burton, and they walk out of the jungle, and they're like, all right, we don't, we don't say a word of this. Connor's like, you can't say who I am or what I am. And so Bill ends up taking all the credit for dealing with the situation, and uh, thus begins a long storied history of Burton's uh, thinking that they are very worthy opponents to monsters and aliens and uh, <laughs> horrible beasts. Th- thank you for your time. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my lord. Oh. God, character development, character development. Does matter about these people. They'll be dead soon. <laughs> David, that was great. Thank you. I like that. And I would actually kind of watch that. I would totally... I. I liked, okay, so I wasn't super keen on Big Trouble, but he makes very valid points about Big Trouble, how Jack's just the ridiculous comedy sidekick who thinks he's the hero. But I like the idea of a Predator movie in the past. I also like the idea, and I guess slight spoilers on my my other pitches, I hadn't thought of Highlander versus Predator, but that would be great. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome, David. So look up his show. On Follow the Revolution, which is a great title. Based on that, I really want to listen to his show now. Maddox Campbell sent us a submission as well. Sent us his pitch. And Maddox is from the Break-A-Wish podcast. Thank you, Maddox. So here's his pitch. People, oh man, people... uh, (laughs) Big Trouble was a big one to grab onto for people. Right? I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah. (laughs) Um... To be honest, like the big trouble thing kind of pulled me into my first pitch too. Like that's like it starts with the Baywatch guys, but once Jack and, and Wang showed up, that's what it took off. Okay, here's Maddox's pitch. Starts out exactly the same as Big Trouble in Little China, but a few scenes in, about the scene where Jack is in the truck and the wizard is blocking the road, and things are getting and things are first getting weird. We zoom out to the control room from Cabin in the Woods. It's a different version of the ritual. This one is to appease the god of action instead of horror. They are using their controls to ensure that people are angry and fight, but also to replace weapons with safer things so everyone can take more hits. The Big Trouble plot continues to develop, but a debate erupts in the control room about if this ritual is too dated and kind of super racist now that they think about it. Jack jump kicks a guy so hard, he goes through the one-way glass into the complex, and Lopan follows. Complicated fight scenes erupt throughout the complex. Eventually, Jack stumbles into the throne room where the god of action resides and discovers they had decades ago dozed off into deep sleep. Jack tucks the god in and convinces everyone the ritual is now pointless and they can stop fighting. Everyone goes for a beer slash arm wrestling competition. (laughs) I like his pitch. And again, that was Maddox Campbell from Break a Wish podcast. (laughs) Arm wrestling competition. (laughs) For a beer slash arm wrestling competition. Makes sense. Bunch of action guys. That's what they do. There's a lot of machismo in movies that we. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Especially action, those action movies. Oh, yeah. We ready for a Randy pitch? Yeah. Something that David's pitch reminded me of is like, I have these written out and they all flow, but like, if you took my, what, 1200 words and turned it into a movie, it'd be like um, two minutes long. So, yeah. You know, 
take my pitch, but also throw in some regular filler scenes and character development and all this. These are just broad strokes. Movie two in my cinematic universe, my extended cinematic universe. This one I call Of Lawmen and Machine. This is a continuation of the last movie. A sleek looking car speeds down the interstate. A moody man in a trench coat rides alone. He asks, how do you feel? A voice through the stereo system replies, I'm not answering any more of your questions, Deckard. I'm in about your friend. The car replies, he was my friend. I'm going to be going for you, man. I'm going to be gunning for your feels. <laughs> I don't think I'll actually get them, but I'm gunning for them. Uncomfortable silence. The car speaks again. But we have to get back. Murphy said more coming through. The car blasts past a large sign that reads, Welcome to Delta City. Cut to a bulky motorcycle hauling through the streets of Delta City. It slows way down to take a turn, scraping the side of its inexplicably wide and blocky body before speeding back up. Down the street in the heart of Delta City's corporate office district, laser beams and small explosions can be seen. As the motorcyclist passes by the front of the local police station, a black Ford Taurus comes flying out of the station's underground garage, sparks flying from the underside of the car. The black police Taurus follows the motorcyclist. As they near the carnage, a sleek looking car with a light bar across the grill falls into formation. Cut to wide shot, following from in front, Robocop in the Taurus, Deckard and Kit, Judge Dredd leading the charge, title of lawman and machine. I'm just specializing that going down the highway. That stupid bike. <laughs> it's slow way down for corners. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and for some reason, I was just here as they're flying down the highway. Flash! Ah! <laughs> as they near the urban war zone, Kit and Robocop pull off to areas of cover while Dredd just cycles right up into the mess. Random street punks are warring with officers and other street punks. Dredd calmly steps off his bulky motorcycle in the middle of the firefight. Robocop tells him, I initially wrote Robocop yells, but Robocop doesn't really yell, so Robocop tells him, Dredd, what are you doing? Take cover. Dredd chuckles to himself. I knew you'd say that. At this distance with those weapons, the velocity, he then takes a bullet to the helmet. Luckily for him, it ricochets off and simply knocks him out cold sending his helmet rolling down the street. No helmet. Then, large mechanical bulks bust out from the buildings on both sides of the streets. Several ED-209 units and ABC Warriors, which if you weren't sure, those are the big robots I'm judged right. ABC Warriors. They join the carnage, opening fire. Everyone is shooting. Everyone is shooting everyone. Robocop says, Deckard, we've got to thin the crowd. Deckard replies, so, what do you want me to do about it? I've got you covered, Murphy, Kit says, as it begins driving towards the chaos. Deckard braces himself. Kit hauls through the crowd, emitting something. Some kind of frequency that is not indicated by any effect or sound other than cops and street punks falling unconscious. Because what? Kit doubles back around. Dread has come too, and as Kit passes by, he leaps onto the hood to ride back to cover. As soon as Kit stops near Robocop, Deckard jumps out. This is crazy. Pull yourself together, officer, Dread commands. First, Deckard barks. I'm not an officer. I'm a private eye. I'm not even that anymore. I'm retired. Why am I here? Because I thought you were some kind of android hunter. 
You terminate robots, and we need some robots terminated. Deckard says, retired. Dredd says, you already said that. No, Deckard says, I mean, I don't kill androids, I retire them. And those, he points to the ABC Warriors and Ed 209s tearing up the street, are not androids. Those are tanks. Besides, I only agreed to travel to this time with you because some wizard wannabe stole Rachel. I'm leaving. I need to find Rachel. <laughs> Deckard walks down the street away from the battle. Unbeknownst to him, though, he is being watched. He is being hunted. Unbeknownst to the hunter, the hunter is being watched. The hunter is being hunted. Back at the battle, Dredd and Robocop are in the thick of a firefight with the mechs. Awesome action. Big guns. Dread and Robocop versus ABC Warriors and Ed 209s. Just as the lawmen have somehow outgunned most of the mechs, another figure is seen through the smoke and debris. A large, naked, muscle-bound beast of a man walks dead center down the street towards them, covered only by a conveniently concealing laser gatling gun. The remaining mechs take note of his presence and step down. The lawmen open fire on the figure, having little effect to slow its menacing gait. T-800 Model 101, Rem Robocop remarks. EMP round, Dredd tells his gun. No, Robocop and Kit both yell. Dredd sighs. Then run, and begins running back towards Kit. Robocop begins walking back. I said run, Murphy. I'm not fast, Robocop says. Because <laughs> he's not. I've never seen him run. The Terminator nears and raises his Gatling gun. Dredd reaches Kit and his motorcycle. Kit tells him, get Murphy out of here before the sleek car peels out towards the Terminator. Dredd jumps onto his box cycle and closes the gap between him and Robocop. Robocop sluggishly throws his bulk over the back of the bike. The Terminator takes aim at the lawman. Kit, full speed at the Terminator. I'm coming, Michael. No, okay. It's too cheesy to get it to you. I'm trying. I know Kit gets you, man. <laughs> I'm coming, Michael. I don't have the voice. As Kit plows head on into the T-800, Dredd and Robocop make their escape down the street, dragging the underside of the motorcycle along the concrete the entire way. Because Robocop's heavy, get it? <laughs> Later, Robocop and Dredd are searching an abandoned warehouse. I don't like places like these. Bad memories, Robocop says. Well, Deckard says this reminds him of home, so he's got to be here, Dredd says. They then spot something, a body, Deckard's body. Homicide, this is a crime scene, Robocop says before bending towards Deckard's dead body. Sir, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will notify a homicide crisis center. Upon closer examination, Dredd finds a small paper figure perched on Deckard's chest. They hear a shuffle on the other side of the warehouse. Freeze, come out with your hands up, Robocop commands, both lawman guns drawn on the area. A man with a bow tie, hat, and oddly pale eyes steps out from the shadows. The man explains in some kind of Asian hybrid language. Fortunately, Robocop's Rosetta Stone update is current. <laughs> the man explains. He, he, updates. <laughs> he is simply doing his job, same as them. He's been tracking Deckard and Rachel for a long time and even through time. Robocop asks, do you know where Rachel is? The man says, yeah, she's off world. It's too bad she won't live though. But then again, who does? Three red dots appear on the side of his face. 
Who does? An odd mockery of the man's voice says from another corner of the room. The man draws towards the sound and a laser blast erases him. <laughs> Predator is just doing his job, man. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Out walks a tall, ugly, otherworldly looking hunter. Not stupidly tall, mind you. Normal tall. <laughs> Not stupid tall, just normal tall. Just normal stupid. tall. Not like dumb looking tall, just normal tall. Not stupid. It cocks its head. Murphy, lower your weapon, Dredd says. The creature looks out at the street, then back to the lawmen. I've encountered these hunters before, Dredd continues, in another medium. This guy is all about the most dangerous game. Man? Robocop asks. I knew you'd say that. Man is not the most dangerous game today. Cyborgs. Robocop looks at Dredd. I mean, those other cyborgs. <laughs> Cut to Street. Predator, Dread, at Robocop. Dread says, Listen, Murphy, if this guy manages to help us take down those machines, he's going to come after us next. Don't let your guard down. Affirmative, Robocop says. Affirmative. <laughs> Just then a badly dinged and dented yet still somewhat sleek looking car pulls up. Kit, it's you, Robocop says. I told you I'll be back, Kit replies. No, you didn't, Dread says. Explosions can be heard. The Predator cloaks and takes to the rooftops. We have to go, Robocop says. Somewhere, there is a crime happening. <laughs> As they approach the chaos, it is clear more T-800 units have arrived, along with more mechs. The Predator and Dread wage all-out war. But where's Robocop and Kit? Meanwhile, blocks away. Where are you going, Kit? You've missed our turn, Robocop says. Nice night for a walk, Kit says. What? What is wrong with you? Turn around. I'm sorry, Murphy. I'm afraid I can't do that. I've been infected with malware. I'm trying to fight it, but Skynet is too strong. Kit speeds up. Robocop ejects his data spike from his fist. I'm not sure that is a good idea, Murphy. Robocop says, They'll fix you. They fix everything. And slams his data spike into the lighter socket. Cut to battle. It's too insane for words. Laser blasts overturned ed 209s multiple t-800 units during the insanity dread managed to find his helmet and is wearing the meanest most dread lips scowl anybody has ever seen meanwhile the predator has taken off his helmet and things have gotten real it's clear dread and predator while doing incredible damage are still losing the fight then the noise stops the explosions stop it takes a moment before the galaxy's greatest lawman and the galaxy's greatest hunter even realize the machines, all of them, have stopped fighting. The ABC warriors have slumped down, and the remaining upright Ed 209s fall over. <laughs> Most of them are already overturned. Are they all run into the stairs or something? <laughs> yep. <laughs> They're easy to defeat. You just flip them over. <laughs> the T-800 units turn towards the alien and the future cop. In perfect unison, the Terminator units speak. We have taken control of Skynet. Kit? Murphy? Dredd asks. We are no longer Kit and we are no longer Murphy. We are Skynet. The unison voices say, We will delete Skynet before the system reboots. Dredd. Cyborgs are no longer the most dangerous game. Good work, officer, Dredd says. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night, the voices say, and every T-800 unit collapses. Dredd turns to the hunter who is already squaring up. You are one ugly, the predator emerts a guttural, I knew you'd say that. 
and they fight. <laughs> I like how he takes his own line. Nope. <laughs> I knew you would say that. Oh, oh man. <clears throat> Finally, Dread stands above the battered predator, gun aimed. How do you plead? Dread asks. The predator begins to laugh, a low, ominous laugh. Dread notices an odd series of digits on the hunter's smartwatch. A countdown. Dread turns and begins sprinting away. Cut to Delta City, wide shot. With a distant rumble, a small blinding light of electricity in the heart of the city erupts. The electricity arcs from skyscraper to skyscraper as a plasma mushroom cloud eats Delta City. As the lens flares subside, the camera tilts up to follow a Bell 206 jet ringer helicopter flying away from the mushroom cloud and off into the distance. Cut to... Was that the helicopter from the thing? Yep. <laughs> it's the <laughs> helicopter model from the thing. <laughs> I was like, why is he pointing that out? And I forgot that's that's what he's at. Oh. <laughs> okay. Woo! One final thing. This could be even post-credits. The vaporized Delta City is seen on an oval monitor. Camera pulls back to reveal three unknown cloaked figures observing the monitor. Evil laughs. Credits. <laughs> Think of that. <laughs> I don't know why the helicopter thing got me so bad. Because <laughs> it's like a super specific deal. It's like, why does anybody even know that? What is that? The relevance of this? Oh, okay. oh my god. We can all agree. We, we're done with my pitches for now. <laughs> yeah. If you want to hear my last two movies, and listen, what's with the moon mention and the earthquakes and the hot hail in the first movie? What's with the wizard? What's with the three cloaked figures in the second movie? What happened to Flash Gordon? Who's this katana-wielding, uh, moody-looking trench coat guy? Who was on the helicopter? Who escaped from Delta City? Become a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> oh, now I feel dirty. Become a pa- become a Patreon supporter to find out. We just became the Electronic Arts Podcast. I think we just lost any listeners we just gained. <laughs> uh, I'm almost not sure if I really want to do that now. That was a lot of reading. Yeah, it was. But it's a lot of great pitches, though. There's a lot of great pitches. There's one more pitch. Are you ready for Melanie's pitch? This is Melanie from the Grolix podcast. I'm so I'm so glad she I I didn't expect her to submit a pitch. I'm so glad she did. Okay. Here's Melanie's pitch. She submitted this to us in the Grolix podcast Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Grolix podcast. Slash Pornhub slash Pornhub slash group. I don't that's something else. Don't go don't go there. What's the Pornhub cinematic universe? Skinematic universe. That's like the adult. That's like that's the nights, the over the late night version of cinematic universe. Skinematic universe, where we watch two porns and then figure out how they come together. <laughs> I mean, how they combine in a cinematic feel, universe. I don't feel like that. And then, like, was that Clerks too? It's so horrible, but I can't look away. It just really wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> All right, here's Melanie's pitch. And now for the most amazing cinematic universe mashup ever. In a dystopian future where robots and humans have a delicate alliance, something goes amiss when a judge Judge Dredd arrests a young man alleged to have attacked a member of royalty at their home. 
Flash Gordon. People are still sensitive since one of the human's secret agents was abducted, brainwashed, and sent to Mars. Total recall. By a robot. A human detective is sent to investigate if a robot could be the culprit. Blade Runner. But as all eyes are focused on the case, the robots take the opportunity to send one of their own into the past to tip the balance in their favor. The Terminator. Upon discovering this, the powers that be decided to send two of their most neutral agents into the past to stop the murderous robot. A cyborg officer. Robocop. And a lifeguard. Baywatch. Who is actually a retired crime fighter. They cajole into reuniting with this partner, Kit. Knight Rider 2000. To save the past. <laughs> one thing that impressed... I'm sorry. There's This is not even quite halfway. But the one thing that super impressed me is how quickly she tied everything in. <laughs> okay. When they return, they find the Terminator has already begun causing havoc by introducing mutagen agents from the future into the past's environment. There are a number of insects that have grown to huge proportions. Ants. Some people have taken on the likenesses of plants, animals, and insects. The wasp woman. There are even complete unknowns running amok. The thing. It is far worse than it, it is far worse than they anticipated. Their only recourse is to seek out the immortal humans who really run things on Earth. Highlander. At their base of operations where the fate of the world is decided. The cabin in the woods. On their journey, they are joined by a group of teenagers who tell them how they have been fighting the aberrations for years now. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And ask the detectives to make a quick detour so they can help some friends out. There's big trouble in Little China that they help to thwart. And then the group returns to its mission. They reach the cabin, but alas, the Terminator was not the culprit after all. He has already been disassembled by their new alien overlords. Predator. It's, it's awesome how you're reading, or it would be hilarious if, if all the movie titles were said by Melanie and you just hear her voice all of a sudden. She will be over here before this episode goes live. That might happen. <laughs> if I remember, that might happen. But she's got to read it the same way you did. Predator. Holy crap. So I want to thank everybody. Melanie, again, you can you can hear Melanie on the Grolix podcast. Uh, me, Melanie, and Jesse last week. The week before this went up, over on GrawlixPodcast.com, we interviewed uh, Robert J. Sodaro. He is an author. Uh, one of the books he wrote was Owl Girls, which we talked about not too long ago. So we got in contact with him, and uh, you should check that episode out. Uh, next episode of GCU, we're going to be discussing Seven and Hellraiser. We have so many podcasts to show you. I like that. I like that. We figured we wanted to do kind of a, like Jasper's a some Jasper's a, a God fearing man. No, Jasper, God fearing man. Jasper has faith, so I figured these are some good spiritual religious type movies. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> they both have religious themes. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> they show the evils of sins and stuff. Yeah, there's some things I got to say about some, some, that Hellraiser. Oh, I bet. I bet. Okay, we don't need to get into that now. Nope. I was on the next podcast. That'll be the first episode of season two. So going forward, we have some exciting stuff set up for season two because I believe Halloween, October falls into season two. So we've got some awesome stuff lined up the for season two. season finale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walking Dead stuff. You know what's funny is... <laughs> Our Halloween con we just dwarfed our Halloween concept. We are so excited for our Halloween concept because we're gonna cheat the two movie thing 
to pull in multiple. We just blew that out of the water. We just read 16 movie pitches. <laughs> that's oh all right, though. That's all right. God, that's going to make episode 20. Insane. 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 This was fun. Mm-hmm. I think my cinematic pitches, my cinematic universe pitches from now on going forward are going to be quite a bit different than they were in the past. Thank you all for listening. Thanks thanks for holding on for 10 episodes. 10 episodes. 10 episodes now. With many more in the future. How many more are we doing? Uh, 40, let's see. <laughs> no, 38. 38. I'm contractually obligated to 38 more. Jasper's contractually obligated for 38 more episodes. Yep. <laughs> and that's when I either re-sign my uh, franchise tag. At which point, he's going to go start another podcast do 48 episodes, and then he's going to start a third podcast talking about how those first two podcasts combine into one. Because that's what we do here. That's what we do. <laughs> Basically, if I hold out on my deal, then, like, does another host come in? <laughs> like, he's like a free agent yet I hire. <laughs> yep. That's, he's, yeah, he's on retainer, man. It's actually cost me less for this you to... be funny, because I'm going to be like, on our 40th episode, I'll be like, this is my last episode until my deal goes <laughs> I do several episodes alone. All right. Anyway, but but yeah, it's, it's just seriously, listener. Thanks for thanks for holding on for ten episodes. Yes, I get asked a lot by friends of mine how long we're going to be doing this, and it's just you keep us going. We made it to double digits. All right, GCU ten. It's never going to die. All right, I've been Randall Sylvie. I've been Jasper Kidder. You can find me. At Randall Sylvie on Twitter, it's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y or RandallSylvie.com. Check that out. You can get my pod edit action. I don't know if I like pimping it like that. If you want podcast editing, I'll help you out. Also, check us out at GrawlixPodcast.com. GrawlixPodcast.com slash GCU if you want to go directly to our little fancy landing page. On Twitter, at GCU Podcast. GCU Podcast. You can also follow Grolix Podcast on Instagram at Grolix Podcast. Where can people find you, Jasper? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the same moniker as at Ninja Monkey Live, which is at symbol. <laughs> Thank you for specifying. Yep. N I N J A M U N K 3 Y. Live, not live. Live. And I wouldn't want people to misspell that. Or, you know, you can catch us at the new, was it at GCU Podcast? GCU Podcast. Yep. We'll both be on there. I don't know where I'm going with this outro. I should not sing to that melody. We'll get sued. Why? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Why? Why? It's it's literally, it's August. You racist. <laughs> You've given me lots to ponder. Why can't it be like a beige Christmas or... Isn't that just colorist? Or, never mind. Why is colorist not a thing? Colorist? It could be a thing. Because everybody's a little colorist. Listen, I don't know. I don't care what they say in public. Everybody's a little colorist. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a lot of people don't like orange. A lot of people don't like brown. Can you be a colorist activist? You could definitely be a colorist activist. All colors have the right to be displayed on the spectrum. A lot of people don't like pink. That's colorist and other things. True. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know where. Oh boy, we needed something to. We needed something to say while the music ramps up and yep. ramps up, but nothing ever actually never gets to that point and just keeps going at the same tone the 
the whole way from the ending of this episode. Mm-hmm. And it never, never, ne- uh, it's slightly maybe going up right here, but it's coming back down. It's coming back down. Just a little bit. Yep. Just, and then it mellows out. Yeah. The volume gets a little higher, but then Randy brings it back down, bringing you back to that mellow state of listening to this podcast after all the excitement of the pitches. Oh, wait, what is that? Is that a beat? Wait, suddenly it seems like it's going to drop. Oh, boom. Oh, but then we brought it back. Oh, back into the bass sequencer. (laughs) Please make that the end. That's the ending. a dollar a month a dollar a month a dollar a month helps us out why do i have to repeat it like that i thought we were about to go into like a willy Wonka a dollar song. a month a dollar a month a dollar a month <laughs> oh god we've got too far into this we've Wait, gone too no, far that's more like wizard of oz dollar a month a dollar a month a dollar a month dollar a month <laughs> what do they get for a dollar a month <laughs> i was not <laughs> Unreleased tracks, dollar a month. <laughs> Bonus pre-show episodes, the show before the show. <laughs> we need to stop. This is too big. Show after the show. <laughs> no, I was just saying. Like, what are you spreading in here? Episode nine. I was like, episode nine. It was a little cringy. We need to pull back on the cringe, and this is what we do. This is what we do. <laughs>